week four at Dyslexic Life with Joe Reese, the podcast. Hello, everyone. I really hope that you have all had a great week. Now, after having loads of things on my list to talk to you about last week, there's nowhere near as much this week. But the irony is, I bet I end up waffling and this podcast is longer. Anyway, let's just see. So what's happened for me this week? Well, actually, it was my birthday at the weekend. um, And I actually had a whole weekend off, um, which was really, really nice. Doesn't happen very often. And I actually didn't even really post to social media. Um, so that was really lovely, but it truly was the, um, calm before the storm because this week where we are is the last week before half term. Um, and my youngest daughter is actually in a production next week. I don't know if I've said before, I live on the Isle of Wight. Um, she's actually doing a production of School of Rock off island. So you'll know if you're dyslexic, you'll know if you you live or you work with dyslexic people that actually when things go slightly out of routine, that's when dyslexic errors are more likely to happen. But that's also when we become quite anxious. Um, and because obviously I'm kind of self-employed, I need to keep working through half term. Um, I don't stop like schools. Um, I need to kind of look at, I tend to sort of do lots of assessments leading up to half term and then write the reports during half term um, because I can be more flexible with my time and work that around the children a bit more. Um, so between extra rehearsals and out of routine different things with school, um, and being quite busy myself, um, I've had to work really hard at scheduling this week. And I've actually done a little post about this on TikTok, about how I've kind of learned over the years that I need to be proactive with my organisation rather than reactive. So I find particularly around weeks like this, when I know it's going to be very busy, I really have to schedule and look at what tasks suit what time. So on Sunday night, I actually spent a little bit of time before I went to bed plotting out my week. I wrote down a massive to-do list, which did include kind of home chores and tasks as well. Um, And I've kind of plotted that out across the week so that I've got a rough plan and I know exactly what I need to achieve each day. Um, in order to kind of keep on top of stuff and not go into dyslexic overwhelm. That's what I'm trying to do is prevent myself from getting to the point where I'm less effective because I just feel like there's so much to do. Um, That has actually led to some very long working days this week, but it does mean that I'm feeling like I'm achieving and I'm ticking things off, um, which is really, which is really good and really positive. I think this is one of the things, and I don't know if there are any parents that listen to this, but I think when I became a parent, I still didn't have my diagnosis of dyslexia. Um, I didn't actually get that until I had all three of my children, had three children under five, and then I got my formal diagnosis. But I think one of the challenges of becoming a parent when you have got dyslexia is how kind of before you had children obviously it doesn't matter how long things take and you can kind of block in like for example I know that I'm much better in the morning than I am in the evening Um, and before I had children I would get up if I knew I had lots of work to do I would get up at six o'clock in the morning and I would kind of do it really early while my brain was fresh obviously when you've got children in the mix that's not necessarily the case because they will dictate what needs to be done when for example school runs kind of getting lunch boxes ready dropping to clubs that sort of 
of thing. You're not just meeting your own needs, you're meeting your children's needs. And I think that's one of the things that is quite tricky to balance because sometimes if you're not proactive and you don't manage it well, and if I'm honest, even at times when I am proactive and I am managing it well, um, it can cause quite a lot of frustration and anxiety because you can't quite get to where you need to get to when you need to get there because your children are stopping you from doing that. Um, so for me, that's been one of the biggest challenges of, um, of, of having children really is kind of accepting the fact that I can't always work with my brain because they need to be doing things at, at, at those particular times when I know my brain is best. I think the other thing to say is, is children add an additional pressure in terms of you don't just have to remember dates and times for you, you have to remember dates and times for them as well. I mean, my children are slightly older now. Um, they're all teenagers. One of them isn't here at all. He's in Australia. Um, but I, you know, that, that is tricky, um, remembering those dates. So again, I found my strategy that I use and people laugh at me when they come in, but I have three months ahead, um, like on like a wall planner on my kitchen side and it is all color coded with all their different clubs and kind of which are school activities, which are dance activities. Um, and I actually have to plot things on that calendar. Um, and basically that is kind of how we live our life and how I kind of book my work in around that. And I try to do like three three months in advance and that sort of preempts those dyslexic clashes although I can't lie they do still happen so I've had an incident this morning actually where a parent has booked in for a consultation and I've actually forgotten to schedule in on my scheduling software that I'm doing an assessment um, so that has led to me having to kind of have a phone call and move the parent around luckily the parent was really understanding um, but I think I don't want to leave you with the illusion that I've got it all worked out because I haven't got it all worked out I've got strategies that I put in place that definitely help but there are for sure pinch points and times where that overwhelm can still kick in and dyslexic errors still happen it's accepting and learning that that is part of who I am and that's okay and as long as I have put a strategy in place to try and preempt that from happening I can't actually do any more than that so scheduling was on my list of things to talk to you about today um what is next on my list? Oh, I know. Yeah, TikTok, social media. So the other thing that's quite interesting is in amongst this week where I've got an awful lot of stuff to do, I've actually thought ahead about my TikTok posts and my social media. So I have a lady that helps me with Instagram and Facebook, but I do my TikTok on my own because literally it's just kind of it's inspired by what happens in the day, a bit like the podcast. And interestingly, I've had several posts this week have quite a lot of interest. And the thing with TikTok is, you'll know if you're on TikTok, is you never really know what's going to stick. And I make my posts to kind of meet the needs of my audience, my dyslexic audience. And obviously with TikTok, you can never predict who is going to see it. But I mean, I have got a good amount of people with dyslexia that that do kind of follow me now but it's really interesting and when a post goes and I don't want to say viral but when it has a lot of interest because you do get a lot of hate and a lot of comments and a lot of people telling you that what you are saying is not right um so that is 
that historically has been quite difficult for me to manage because again that brings back those memories of when I was at school where I kind of doubt myself actually is the information that I've put out there right and of course it is because it's right from my perspective and my experience that's not to say that I haven't got more to learn and that actually if an expert was to tell me that actually Joe, you haven't you haven't quite got that right but quite often I'm pretty sure it's not experts that are, are, are correcting me and again that's not to say that the experience of those people that aren't com- commenting isn't true from their perspective but sometimes I feel like they don't watch videos the whole way through before they kind of like throw out a hateful comment that I don't know what I'm talking about I've had a lot this week of are you even dyslexic like you can't possibly be dyslexic because you can read this that and the other so a lot of that this week which has been quite interesting but the other thing that happens when a social media post gets lots of interest is and it's wonderful and a nightmare all at the same time so I get loads of emails and loads of private messages which is lovely because people have found me and they want support. However, the irony is, obviously, that's a load more information that I have to read. It's emails in my inbox, which can kind of add to that overwhelm if, um, if, if I don't do something with them. It's lots of messages. And it also leaves me with that feeling of, oh my goodness, I'm not able to meet everybody's needs. And I kind of really want to be able to help as many people as I can. Um, but it is difficult because sometimes people write messages and I'm not really sure what they want me, what they want me to do or want me to say. Sometimes it's easy because they're looking for a particular service. Sometimes people just want a free phone call, you know, and if I've only got one or two people requesting that, I can fit that into my day but actually I've woken up this morning and I have got uh 15 requests for have I just got five minutes that I can have a quick chat with them so obviously I'm just not going to be able to meet the needs of that so that actually makes me feel quite anxious and quite sad um I will hopefully get to them eventually um but my aim is to obviously help as many as many people as possible um but yeah social media is is interesting you do I have learned you do have to have a really thick skin and like I say the crazy thing is is sometimes the posts that you think are going to be really helpful and that you really need to have a big reach end up being seen by about a thousand people and the ones that were actually just intended to support the two or three people that asked the question are the ones that end up having a hundred thousand views or or more so it is interesting for sure there is still work to be done and knowledge to be to be spread Um, So I think the last thing that I just wanted to mention in this particular podcast is um, reports and diagnosis versus um, a dyslexic screen. I think it's really important to understand that actually in school, and I'm talking about school in particular now, schools do not have the budgets to send young people for a formal diagnosis. But most schools, in fact, all schools will have a dyslexia screening tool that can be administered by somebody in school. And actually, that dyslexia screening school should tool, sorry, school tool should be more than enough for that young person to receive support in school. So the idea of a dyslexic screen is it indicates whether a young person is at risk or not, and it highlights areas of strength and areas of weakness, which gives us a clue as to how somebody needs to be taught and how they should be supported. So I would really hope that if your young person has had a dyslexic screen, that the school would then 
support them by putting whatever interventions it is they've got into place. And every school should have some kind of intervention for um, to support dyslexia, whether it is small group or one-to-one. Um, and that those things, you don't need a formal diagnosis for those things to be put in put into place. So some of the interventions that I know about, um, I will list now in case these sound familiar. So lots of schools have got Lexia, which is an online programme um, to support phonological awareness, spelling and reading. There's Nessie, reading and spelling. There's touch type, read, spell. Um, there's things called Beat Dyslexia, Active Literacy Kit, Hatcher Sound Linkage. I'm a huge fan of Rapid Readers for dyslexic learners. Um, there are things like drugs. There are lots of phonological awareness interventions that are evidence-based that can make a difference. Um, but I would definitely, so if your child's school, if you're a parent listening to this and your child's school have done a dyslexic screen and they say, actually, we can't put any support in until your child has got a formal diagnosis, I would go back and just have a conversation with them and say, look, what 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 can you put in place without that formal diagnosis because we shouldn't be needing a formal diagnosis to respond on what that dyslexic screen identifies and the same for exam access arrangements you don't need a formal diagnosis of anything to meet criteria for exam access arrangements it does need to be your usual way of working but again if you think that your young person or you yourself is listening to this and you need 25% extra time or to use a laptop or you might need a prompt or a reader then please do go and have a conversation with your school senko or learning support department about what steps what is the protocol what is the process in that school in order for you to 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 have the assessments to see if you would meet criteria for that so there we go and the irony is I said didn't I this one is going to end up being longer than last week's and I think it probably is so for now if you're new to the podcast please do drop us a follow go back and listen to the previous episodes please do feel free to spread far and wide Um, in the meantime I hope you have a great week I'm going to be spending most of my week sat in the King's Theatre at South Sea um, either chaperone or watching School of Rock. Um, But for now, everybody have a great week and don't forget to always look on the dyslexic side of life. Have a great week, folks.